Well, welcome to Rock Valley Bible Church uh, here at Rock Valley Bible. Uh, we proclaim that God's Word is perfect and is inerrant and is and helpful in all things and inspired. Uh, and in the Bible, there's a lot of different literary techniques in the Bible. You know, there's 66 books, but as we heard from Ryan two weeks ago, there's poetry. As we heard from, uh, from Troy last week, you know, there was a letter to the Ephesian church. There's wisdom literature. There's, there's all different types of literature that's used, and there's also different um, techniques they use. There's allegory used, but there's also humor in the Bible. Um, it's not very, very used very often, so when it is, we have to take advantage of it. Um, so today, we come to a hilarious, maybe not hilarious, but humorous account of Balaam. And so when thinking about a title, Tina asked me a couple of weeks ago, because they're, they're on vacation, so I thought, well, maybe uh, I'd use, as some texts call it, uh, the, the title being The Talking Ass, or The Talking Donkey. Um, but then I realized that if anybody went to the sermon page on the website and saw that title, my name would be right below there. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> I think wisely, um, I scrapped that title, and uh, uh, the title is Has God Said. So, um, <clears throat> But like I said, uh, whenever humor is used, there's always an important idea or an important theme that is trying to be conveyed there. Um, and here is an unquestionably serious and important and critical idea. One of the ideas is that nothing can thwart the blessings of God. You know, we'll see here, we'll see God's faithfulness and man's unfaithfulness. We'll see the sovereignty of God, and we'll see the sinfulness of man. So, the other thing that I think will be interesting to you is, I think many of you know chapter 22. Many of you know how this story begins, but I'd be surprised if few or any of you know how the ending of the story is. So, let's pray, and let's get started. Lord, is as we'll see, you need to open eyes. It's only you that can do that. So I pray today that you would give us a laser-focused, pinpoint accuracy in this, the Word of God, that you would open our eyes so clearly. I know so many of us are tired and exhausted from the last couple of days, uh, just the, the heat and just being outside. Lord, I just pray for this time that you would give us energy, that you would give us a focus, you would give us, again, open eyes, spiritual eyes, to see things that only you could see and know, that you can only show us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you would turn to Numbers 22. Numbers 22, it's the fourth book of the Bible. And as you're turning there, uh, just, a, uh, just a very quick background. Uh, verse 1 of, of Numbers, chapter 1, verse 1, says that the Lord's speaking to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. So they just come out of Egypt, and they're, we see at the beginning of Numbers 1, 1, they're in the wilderness of Sinai. And then if you go to 36, 13, the last verse, the last chapter of, of Numbers, it says, um, it says this, These are the commands and the rules that the Lord commanded through Moses to the people in Israel, in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan at Jericho. 
So they're on the other side of, of the promised land. They haven't crossed over yet. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. So we see that Numbers encompasses from them leaving Egypt. And then as, we all, as many of you know, they sin and they rebel against the Lord. And so they have to wander for 40 years. And then it says at the end, they can see the promised land. They're almost there. And verse 1 here starts like this. It says this. And the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. So this is the exact same phrase that's in 36.13. So 22 all the way to 36 is what's happening in the plains of Moab, right as they're just getting ready to enter the promised land. In verse 2, And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all Israel that all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people, because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us, as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So, Balak, the son of Zippor, who is the king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, and to call him, saying, Behold, a people have come out of Egypt. They cover the face of this earth and are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me. Since they are too mighty for me, perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So we see in verse 2, there's a great horde of them. They're all, the world of Balaam, or Balak, has been turned upside down. If you go to Numbers 1, there's a census of all the the warriors of the Israelites. Over 603,000 men. So many of the biblical scholars say the Israelites were now over 2 million people probably just camped out. What do you do when 2 million people just show up on your back door? What do you do when your world is up, turned upside down? Balaam, he's heard of what has happened uh, to, the, to the Amorites. What, in verse 2, Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done in the Amorites. Previous chapter, King Sihon and the Amorites, they were destroyed by the Israelites. And so, I think, for good reason, Balak is terrified. There's this, this crisis, this crisis in his life, or this crucible. You know, you know what a crucible is, right? Maybe you, in high school science class, you know, there's this, this ceramic bowl, and you, it's subjected to this intense heat. You put something in it, and then it's subjected to great heat. Well, what, what happens is it reveals what really is in that liquid or whatever, whatever is left is the remnants. Here's this crucible. It reveals what's really in Balak's heart. And here's what's in his heart. He relies on this world's renown, this great seer, this great Balaam. He's, he's known all over the world by his, his great powers. And so he's up in Pethor. And so he says to him, Come now and curse this people, since they are too mighty for me. Now verse 6 should remind you of something. If you know your, the Pentateuch, the first five, five chapters of the Bible, especially Genesis 12, verse 3, there's the Abrahamic covenant. God speaking to Abraham, and he says this. 
<clears throat> it's a direct contrast to, to what the text here. God is speaking, and he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you see that there's a tension right here, right? God has said, hey, I'm going to bless my people. I'm going to bless the Israelites. But over on the other side, here's Balak coming to Balaam, and he says, hey, I know. Whoever you bless is blessed. Whoever you curse is cursed. Curse the Israelites. Take them down. Who's going to win? There's this great conflict, this great drama that arises. And so we see in verse 7, there's a delegation sent. It says this, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees of divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and said, gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and that covers the face of this earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to the land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. So now it's easy to skip over the, the first part of it. It says, well, they just went to go visit Balaam. Well, it says in verse 5, if you remember, it says he was in Pethor, which is 400 miles away. So this wasn't just a, a one-day jaunt. You know, if they traveled 20 to 25 miles, you know, this is a 16 to 20-day one-way trip. So they go all this way up to Balaam. And he says, hey, I'll consult with the Lord and see what he has to say. Of course, God says no, and so they come all this way back. <clears throat> so he says, says in verse 12, no, these are my people. They're blessed. Now, a side note, just a, a quick aside. There's no indication here that the Israelites have any knowledge of this. God is working in ways that they have no idea. He's, this is totally behind the scene. Now, Moses wrote this, so there, obviously it came to at least Moses' knowledge at some point later. But at this point, there's no indication that the Israelites know what's going on. You know, Romans 8.28 is, is true, is true, isn't it? God truly is working for the good of those whom he loves. Can you think of an example in your own life in which later or after the fact you realized, hey, God was really working and I had no idea. You know, I can think of a handful of times, uh, just once, one instance, uh, this has happened many, many times, or a handful of times. There was a literal life and death, life and death situation with my, one of my children. And at separate times, or at the same time, my wife and I, I think I was in a different state, was just compelled to pray for this child specifically. You know, and, and after the fact, you realize what the situation occurred. But to this child's knowledge, he had no idea what was going on until maybe after the fact. I can think of a couple of examples. Maybe you can think of other times in which maybe the Lord is working 
in a, in a future employer in a way you have no idea somebody talks to that person and gets you a job or some other way or maybe prevents you from getting a job and you realize that it would have been a bad situation. God is at all times working in so many ways which we have no idea behind the scenes. <clears throat> all right, so that was the first visit. So they come back to, to, to Balak and he says, nope. Balaam says, I can't go. Well, Balaam, or, I'm sorry, I was, I'm going to get this mixed up, Balak and Balaam, but uh, Balak's the king, Balaam's the prophet. <clears throat> so Balak, um, he's, in the, he's the king, he doesn't give up easily, uh, he's in a huge dangerous situation, so he sends another delegation with more money. That's, I think, a huge key here. It says this in verse 15, so once Balak's so once again, Balak sent princes, more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor. And whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balak answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God and do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam that night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise and go with them. But only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. So we see here the stubborn desire of Balaam. So again, they come back to Balak. They make another 16 to 20 day trip back up to Balaam. And Balaam says, I know God's told me no, but let me ask again. So the question that comes here is, did Gade, uh, you know, the difficult question that I wrestled with quite a bit. Did God change his mind? What happens here? Well, one thing is for sure. God doesn't change his mind. All you have to do is go a couple chapters, one chapter over. Look at 23, verses um, 23, uh, verses, verse 19 says this. We see this other, word, other places in the Bible, but here very clearly, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So it's clear here that, that God is like, oh, well, uh, I changed my mind. I think what's happening here is, is this. I think what he's saying is he's saying, you know what? I see you're so, so convinced. You're so stubborn. You know this is the way you're going to go. Go ahead. Have at it. You know, I, I think maybe uh, an example or a corollary would be maybe you, you're an expert on something. Maybe you're, you know cars really well. So you have a friend or one of your children comes to you and says, uh, you know, hey, here's this car that I think is a real, I, I really want. And you say, okay, I'll go look at it. And you go and look at it with them, and you're like, no, it's, it's a lemon. You know, the, this is wrong with it. The transmission's about ready to go. And so they... Well, a week later, they're like, 
you know what, I'm, I'm really sure that this is, this is the, the car that I want, or maybe like, this is the one that God wants me to have, right? I mean, and uh, what is the response? Well, okay, go ahead. I mean, you've, you're old enough to make your own decisions. Go ahead. It's a foolish decision. I think that's what's happening here. And, you know, I think it's very similar to the, to the wrestling of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, God at first told me no. It was very clear. He says, you shall not go. Well, did God really say? I mean, well, now it's 30 days later. Maybe, you know, times have changed. Did God really say? You know, in Genesis 3.1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the women, Did God actually say, You shall not eat any tree of the garden? You know, here's Balaam, convinced in his own ways. I think of Romans one twenty four. God giving them up. God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. You know, this is a terrifying place to be, isn't it? God giving them up. You know, it's God's correction for us sometimes is uncomfortable, but it's a good place to be. It's his kindness to us, to bring him back to himself. God giving us over to our lusts, to our desires, because we're so set in our ways. It's a scary place to be. You know, there's some things that you don't need to pray about. God's very clear. He says, don't do this. What is God's will for my life? Well, some things are pretty clear. You know, many times I've counseled or I've talked to people that <clears throat> some things that are real clear in the Bible, even weeks or months before, because of circumstances, now God's word is old-fashioned or looks foolish or isn't applicable in this situation. So many times it's in the situation of relationships, isn't it? I know in the past I've always known and I know that I should never move in with my girlfriend or boyfriend. But, you know, is there really a verse? Does God really say? Where's the verse that says don't move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend? It's, you know, even though because of the circumstance now, all of a sudden God's word doesn't make sense. Or in other, or other circumstances, you know, because this man is in now a difficult situation in marriage. Even though he, a week ago, he would totally have agreed that he has no bounds for divorce. And he's confronted, and he says, at that time, at the time in which he's making that decision, and he says, and he's confronted, and he says, and one would say to him, well, what do you think God would say to you? You know that it's not right, right? And his comment would be, as it's been said to me, I think God wants me to be happy. That's a terrifying place to be. Now, all of a sudden, God wants you to be happy? No, he wants you to be holy. <clears throat> says, we need to be careful that our circumstances in life don't dictate what we think God's word to be true and faithful to us. So I think what's happening here is God saying to Balaam, you want to go? Go ahead. I still am going to not for it. As we can see, God's anger is kindled. In verse 22, it says this, 
So God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in his way as his adversary. Now he was riding on his donkey. And his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey... And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord said, stood on a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have you done to me that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, and I would then, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I, a, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened his eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the, Lord, or, and the angel of the Lord st- said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? And behold, I have come out to oppose you because the way your way is perverse before me. And the donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam saw the angel of the Lord. Or then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. All right, so we come here. So we see that, I think it's important to note too, that there's people with Balak. So, or Balaam, rather, in verse um, 22, there's, um, he's with two servants, and perhaps also the Midianite or the Moabite delegation. And so there's the angel of the Lord who stands in the road, and there's enough room so that the donkey's coming, he sees him, and he goes off in the ditch and comes back on the road. But as the, as the path narrows and gets narrower, there's, a, there's these two vineyards, or the, between the vineyards, there's the angel goes before again. And this time, Balaam has to get up, or Balaam's donkey has to get up against the side, kind of scuffs his designer leather sandals. I don't know. And then, third time it happens, and the, the donkey just just lays down. So we see his response. <laughs> this is almost comical. And when the, the the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, she said to Balaam, "What have you done to strike me these three times?" And Balaam said to the donkey, "Because you." you I can just imagine, right? Wait, I'm talking to, to my donkey. <laughs> because you have made a fool out of me, and I wish I had a sword in my hand, 
then I would kill you. Can you imagine? I mean, as I read this over and over and over this week, or heard it or listened to it, you know, this, this was meant to be ridiculous. This is meant to be humorous. This is meant to be um, comical. Even after the, you know, after the 40th time, it was, it was no less comical to me. Here's this great man. He's supposed to be able to curse two million people. And he can't keep his donkey on the road. Right? I mean, here's this, this, this man of, who's able to see these great visions and prophesy and bless and curse. And he can't see what's five feet in front of him. Right? Now, I don't know, maybe there's some among you here, perhaps you're a skeptic or dismiss the claims of Christ. Perhaps you're like a, a narrator in a podcast, a secular podcast I was listening to a couple weeks ago. She grew up in a mainline church, and the topic uh, turned towards Christianity, or, or the church rather, um, and her comment was this. <clears throat> Every time I go to church or think about that God, I start to panic that someone I love might end up burning in hell. And I get the positives probably outweigh the negatives, the wonderful community, inner peace, going to heaven and all that. But I can't shake the need to threaten eternal damnation. I do get a genuine kick out of the Bible, though. Remind me to tell you about the physically giant demagogues in Genesis. So, presumably, at the very end, again, she's talking about this. You know, there, there, she gets a kick out of the Bible because, uh, you know, there's these demagogues, presumably the Nephilim in Genesis 6. But maybe this text as well, if you're a skeptic, is just like those. It's the, exactly why you dismiss the Bible. Because it's so absurd. Like, you have a talking donkey, you have a man responding to a talking donkey, maybe you have these giants in Genesis 6. Um, I would say to you, don't miss the point of this. Verse 31, what is the point of all this? Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in his way. See, the point is, we're spiritually blind without God opening our eyes. Now, there's, there's reasonable, logical explanations for so many things in the Bible. But ultimately, there's a part at which, without God opening our eyes, it's foolish, right? Balaam was the one who couldn't see. He was the one who was angry at the stupid animal for the animal who really did. You know, 1 Corinthians talks about this. talks about Christ being folly. Verse 5 says, It is foolish, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I would just say, if you're one of those people, just pray that God would open your eyes. You'd seek him. You know, so many times there's, I think that I know better than God, right? And then he gently reminds me that, um, didn't yesterday you spend like an hour trying to figure out an app on your phone? <laughs> I mean, like you can't figure out an app on your phone and yet you're going to question me, the creator of all things. <clears throat> and you can see here, Balaam still doesn't get it, right? <laughs> Verse 34, he says this, Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I do not know that it was you who stood in the road. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. <laughs> what do you mean, if it is evil in, you, in my, your sight? I told you no. And you said, 
Well, maybe I'll ask again. I tried to kill you, or I would have killed you had your donkey not gone off the road. Not once, not twice, but three times. If it is evil in your sight, I mean, I would like to have think, and I was running all the way back to Pethor, but not Balaam. The prospect of money, of great money and great riches was too great. And so in verse 36 to 41, we have the meeting with them, a little inauspicious, a little rocky. When Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the Sea of Moab on the border, informed by the Arnon, at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you to call you? Did I send you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now anything, any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Kazath. And Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him to Bamoth Baal. And from there, he saw a fraction of his people. <laughs> Do you see Balak's response? He's like, where, where have you been? What took you so long? And um, conveniently, Balaam says, well, well, I'm here. Conveniently leaves out that he was arguing with his donkey. Um, I, th- I think that's also interesting. If you go back, just one point. Do you, did you notice that Balaam lost his argument with the donkey. If you, if you go back to verse 30, he says, the, um, of 22, And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey who has ridden, who, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my, my habit to treat you this way? And, and Balaam's response is, uh, uh, No, no, it's not. But anyway, um, so, so he leaves that part out, right? But he says, I'm here. And, but then he says this. He says, but listen, I can only say what God tells me to say. Well, I mean, this doesn't look very promising. But we see here in verses 23 and 24, all, we don't have time. I encourage you to go home and, and read them. We don't have time to, to go through all of them right now. But just very quickly, just reading, um, uh, there's, there's four oracles that Balaam pro, um, proclaims. And again, this humorous part, I, th- I hope you catch it. Um, this, th- what happens here seems very, very official and very prim and proper, but the response is a little comical. Listen, and Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. So Balak did as Balaam said. And Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And, Balak said, and Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he says, shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height, and God met Balaam. And Balaam said to him, I have arranged seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. So there's this very, almost like a very prim and proper church service, isn't it? I mean, you have this... Go over, I'm going to offer these seven altars. I'm going to go over here. You stand by your altar here, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> so the Lord speaks to Balaam in verse 7. From Aram, Balak has brought me. 
the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Curse, come, curse Jacob for me and come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? He blesses Israel and Balaam. All this prim and proper and serious official service. Balaam's irate and he blows up. He says, what have I done? What have you done to me in verse 11? I took you to curse my enemies. Behold, you have done nothing but bless them. (laughs) Out with the, the prim and proper part. You've blessed my enemies. What did I bring you here 400 miles for? Just to bless them? But then we see again, he says, well, maybe, again, he's just stubborn. Isn't he stubborn and set in his ways? And also, he's a king. He's used to getting his way, just like Balaam. So he says, well, let's go to a different place. So we have the second oracle in verses 13. He says, let's go to, to another place. And so they do the whole procession again, the seven bulls, the seven, uh, the seven rams. And this time it's even more forceful. And as we read before, it starts like this. Rise, Balak, and hear. In verse 18. Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear o son, to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God's blessed. He won't revoke it. And then he compares the people, the Israelite people. In verse 24, he, 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 rounds it, he sums it up like this. Behold the people. As a lioness, it rises up. As a lion, it, lift, it lifts itself. It will not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. So he's like, well, this isn't going very well. So at least, well, don't bless them and don't curse them. So he takes them to another place. And here's the third oracle. They do the same deal. Think, I mean, just think of the effort that Balaam, Balak has gone through. He's, he's gone twice up to Balaam. He's brought him all these promises of great money. We see that he offered sheep and oxen in 22. He's, now this is the third round of seven goats, or seven rams and seven bulls. This, he's doing whatever he can. And he's set in his ways of having Israel cursed. And again, and now this is interesting here in, verse, in chapter 24. He starts his third oracle. Isn't this interesting? In verse 3. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. The oracle of the man whose eye is opened. Remember verse chapter 22. His eyes were opened. And again, he says, God brings, and he's going to bring a blessing, and he won't curse his people. Read, read through it later. And then in verse 9, again, he reiterates. He says, he crouched. Speaking of Israel, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him? Blessed are those who bless you. Cursed are those who curse you. <clears throat> well, ba- Balak's anger is kindled, and he's enraged. <laughs> but we see Balak doesn't know when to shut up, right? He gives a final oracle, and so they go their separate ways in verses 10 and 11 or 10 through, through 14, he says, um, Balak's anger is kindled against Balak. He struck his hands together, and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them three times. 
Therefore now flee to your place. I said I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam's response is, hey, I told you I could only say what God allowed me to say. (laughs) Just like the donkey, isn't it? He only spoke what God put in his mouth. But then he says this, verse 14, Come now, behold, unsolicited, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what will this people will do to your people in latter days. And it says this in verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, and it break the sons of Sheth. Well, what's happened here is just like what Deuteronomy 23.5, it sums up, Moses sums it up like this. He says, But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. Well, this appears to be the end, isn't it? The end of 24. They go their separate ways. But it isn't. There's a different ending, unfortunately, for, for some of the Israelites. But before we get to that, just a couple points I want to remind you before we go to the end. Number one, God is all-powerful. He is always working, even in ways we don't, don't know. He does all things well. Number two, we need God to open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, so to speak. If not, we are in danger of being just like Balaam. Number three, the efforts and plans of man will not thwart God's blessing on his people. Here's, here's how one biblical scholar sums it up. I think he, he writes really very well. He says this, The narrative is at once both very funny and deadly serious. The stupidity and stubbornness of the human character, Balaam and Balak, is accentuated by the behavior of the ass. This animal, proverbial for its dullness and obstinacy, is shown to have more spiritual insight than the super-prophet from Mesopotamia, whom Balak is prepared to hire at enormous expense to curse Israel. Yet this numbskulled, money-grubbing heathen seer is inspired by the Spirit of God with a vision of Israel's future, destiny truly messianic in its dimensions. Well, that's the summary of 22 through 24, but really, how does it end? How do you think the Israelites would respond first? What's the Israelites' response? Well, we get a clue. We go all the way, if you go all the way to Revelation, as Jesus is talking to the church in Pergamum, there's, he's talking to the seven churches, and he, he, in chapter 2, verse 14, he says this, But I have a few things against you, You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So evidently what happened after this fact is Balaam went to Balak and he said, you know what, your problem is you've kept going to to their God and tried to get God to curse them. And God is not a God like man who changes his mind. He who he blesses, will be blessed. <clears throat> Nothing will change that. But here's, your, here's, here's what you can do. 
You can just go to them with some of the Moabite daughters and lead them astray. And you can, um, sorry, um, and um, even, even though God is working for them, you can send you some women and they'll sin against you. As we see in verse 25, chapter 25, it doesn't appear that this is related, but in Revelation we see that it is very quickly. While Israel, chapter 25, verse 1, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to, to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal at Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them before the sun, and the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away. So we see that there was devastation and there was a great destruction of the people. But it was stopped. But in verse 9 it says, Nevertheless, those who died in the plague were 24,000. So he said, so this man, you know, Balak says to, to Balaam, or Balaam says to Balak, listen, just pr- take the daughters, have this celebration to your idols, and engage in idolatry and sexual immorality, and they'll just they'll go with you. And the Lord will wipe out 24,000 people. This is how the Israelites responded, right? God blesses them, not once, not twice, but three times, even to somebody who was supposed to be cursing them, he was working in all this, unbeknownst to them, and the Israelites go and commit great idolatry with the people. Just as they're about ready to go across into the promised land. <clears throat> I think it's a cautionary tale to us. You know, even though that God is for us, if we're Christians, we're still called to live and according to, to what he has called us to. Well, what about Balaam? How does it end for Balaam? Well, in verse 11 of chapter 24, it says, Therefore, now flee to your place. I, will cer- I said I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. So, so it looks like Balaam didn't get any money. Balak didn't pay up. He says, hey, I paid you. I was going to pay you handsomely to bless these people. And you didn't. You don't get a penny. But if you go a couple chapters over to 31, verse 8, in, in retribution for what happened in chapter 25, God sends the Israelites to go wipe out some of the Midianites. And it says this, They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain, Evi, Rechem, Sur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. So it didn't end well for Balaam as well. Well, how did it end for Balak? Well, if you remember in chapters 15 through 17, there's the final oracle in verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star has come out from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab, and shall break down all the sons of Sheth. Well, we see that for sure, this might have happened before this, but for sure it happened in David's time. David wipes out the Moabites. So over and over and over, we see God's perfect words, and we see man's disbelief, their skepticism, their mistrust. But even the schemes of his own people can't deter his plans, right? Because this is right before they go into the promised land. Well, we know 
that they did go into the promised land. It was called the promised land for, for a reason, because God promised and he fulfilled it. You know, but he promised an even greater blessing. In Romans eight thirty one, he says this, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, the greatest blessing, isn't it Jesus? God is for us if we believe in him. That's the greatest blessing. You know, the Israelites, they worshipped idols. They committed sexual immorality. Balaam, he desired money and was willing to do just about whatever. Disobey God to get it. Balak, he was willing to take whatever money, whatever, to curse the Israelites. They were all stubborn in their sinful desires, weren't they? They all had a way in which they wanted to go, and they all went in that way. Just like the donkey. Just like us. Right? We all are stubborn in our own way. That's why we need the glorious gospel. Jesus lived the perfect life on this earth. A life we could never live and died in our place on the cross. And that's the Jesus we're called to trust and believe in. Revelation twenty two sixteen says, I sent, or I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, a bright morning star. Verse 17 says, A star shall come out of Jacob. That's Jesus, the bright morning star. In verse 19 in chapter 24, it says this, The one from Jacob will exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. One day, Jesus will exercise dominion, perfect dominion, and welcome those who are his to live with him, and he will destroy the survivors of the cities. Would you pray with me? Lord, we long for that day. Lord, we are just like Balaam. We're just like Balak. We're just like the donkey. We're just like the Israelites. Lord, we all need you. Pray that we would, those that we would all trust and rest in the perfect life of Jesus Christ, the glorious gospel, and that we would see, you would give us spiritual eyes to see that, for only you can show us that. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Kids, you can come forward. We'll go over the notes.